All right, we are live with Alexander Mercuris and the very, very special guest that we love having on the show, Professor Jeffrey Sachs. How are you? Very good. Very good. Good, good to good be to with have, you. Good to have you on. And uh, a quick hello to everyone that is watching us on Rockfin, Odyssey, Rumble, YouTube, and thedurad.locals.com. A quick shout out to our amazing moderators as well. Thank you very much to all our moderators. Alexander, Jeffrey, we have a lot to discuss, so let's uh, let's get to it, Alexander. Indeed, and the thing I think we, we perhaps need to discuss most, uh, at least initially, is President Putin's uh, extraordinary interview with Tucker Carlson. Now, we've already done programs about this, um, um, Alex and I, but Jeffrey, you've been reading this interview. Um, as I said, this is a monumental interview. It covers huge amount of ground. It answers questions. I mean, this is one of the things that is striking about Putin is he actually, when you put a question to him, he answers it. He does give you lectures, but he actually also answers your questions. And of course, the thing that the two things that came across to me is on the one hand, he is extremely disappointed about his relations with the West. He feels that Russia has been placed under relentless pressure for many years. He's, I think, a bit baffled as to why this has been. But secondly, and I think this is an important point, which perhaps we haven't highlighted enough, he's still prepared, ultimately, to come to some kind of an understanding provided obviously he thinks it's in Russian interests and provided he has um, you know, a negotiating partner on the other side, on the Western side, on the US side, that he can work with. He is not shutting the door. That was my take, at least. It, it's an extraordinarily sophisticated and shrewd uh, interview. Uh, this is the, the first point far too sophisticated for the mainstream uh, American media, by the way, which could not make heads or tails of it, didn't want to deal with any anything of the, the substance. Uh, the, the Washington Post called it rambling, which means that with the American uh, attention deficit disorder, uh, if it's not uh, in one soundbite, forget it. But when you listen to it, and then I just reread it again uh, now, it's it's actually extremely sophisticated and extremely interesting. I think there is a, uh, a core truth and message which uh, Putin is in an extraordinary position to understand and to explain. And that is uh, the remarkable fact that the end of the Soviet Union did not mean at all the end of the U.S. pressure and attack on Russia. Uh, and I think that this is the real lesson of this. It wasn't actually anti-communism. It was anti-Russia. And it goes back uh, two centuries, I would say, to uh, British Russophobia, which at least a century before, a century and a half before, or let's say a century before communism was completely Russophobic. And the reason is Russia's big, it's powerful, and in the British and U.S. grand strategy, that per se is a threat. 
not the behavior, uh, not the communism or the post-communism, simply the fact of a large, capable country is a threat. And what we see after 1991, according to Putin's analysis, and I think it's absolutely correct and it helped me to understand things because I was there in 1991. I was there in 1992. I witnessed firsthand a lot of this. He says, Russia said, we just want normal relations. And the answer was no from the United States. We want to surround you. We want to make sure that you are weakened in every way. We will send the CIA in to uh, create unrest uh, in the caucuses. We will send the CIA into your neighboring countries to overthrow governments. And this is the narrative. It's right, by the way, because uh, you and I, and uh, we, we know the history of this. But the American people do not know the history of any of it because it's never told. And one thing that I found absolutely fascinating, Putin came out of the KGB. He knows the CIA. This whole uh, interview is infused with his knowledge of what's really going on in U.S. policy, not the superficial level. And he's constantly saying to the American politicians, oh, come on, we know. We know you're doing this. We know you're doing that. And the best they can do is uh, mumble and apologize because it's actually this deep state that is driving American foreign policy relentlessly. It's anti-Russian. It has remained anti-Russian since 1991. It is not about what Russia has been doing at all. It's blaming Russia for being a large country. That is essentially what this is. It's the same with China, of course. Uh, and he makes that point. China is much bigger. The American antipathy to China is that China is large because that is an affront to American hegemony. And so I found it completely fascinating, the stringing together of this nonstop pressure from the CIA operations in the Balkans at the end of the 1990s, the American withdrawal from the ABM Treaty, uh, the, uh, uh, the American support for uh, the uh, Chechen rebels uh, at the end of the 90s and early 2000s, another CIA operation, the engagement of uh, the U.S. in uh, destabilizing Ukraine, the coup, uh, which he says is 2004-05, the Orange Revolution first, and then, uh, of course, uh, the Yanukovych coup in February 2014, where Russia at least did us uh, the favor of giving us the taped uh, call of, uh, of uh, Newland and uh, Piat describing the coup online. Uh, all of this is uh, put together in an extremely coherent way completely uh, unassimilable by the American uh, media because it's contrary to the official narrative. And the official narrative uh, is not the real story. So this is why this interview is so incredibly fascinating. But Putin's also very uh, calm and mature, let me, let me say. He, he knows this is the great game. He knows that he's been involved in this. And, and game uh, is, uh, is, is the word we use for tragedy because uh, 
hundreds of thousands of people are getting killed by this game. But he's saying, if you stop, we can we can end this. Uh, and that is the real appeal. The, the amazing thing is after the interview came out, the U.S. Senate went right on and voted another $61 billion for continued war because the whole system is designed to be impervious to facts. This is the truth because you have a, a sub-story, which is a clear but, mm-hmm. quote, secret uh, deep state, which is true. This is a long-standing U.S. policy. Mm-hmm. This is the grand strategy, but it can't be admitted. So everything is weird. You have the interview, and the next day the Senate votes as if it didn't occur. A few senators referenced it on the Republican side, but all of the Democrats lined up to vote $61 billion for more slaughter uh, because that is still the deep state policy. One wonders whether Biden really has anything to do with this anymore. He's obviously not compass mentis, so uh, it's probably not the president. It, it really is the the agencies, as, uh, as President Putin kept saying. Absolutely. Lots of points there. Firstly, you're absolutely correct. The British media have also struggled with this interview. They barely covered it. They say it's deranged, rambling, uh, but they don't discuss the content. They absolutely <laughs> refuse to talk about any of the points, the details that he made. The second point about the fact that um, it's nothing to do with communism, hostility to Russia. I mean, there's a, there was a phrase which really stood out for me, which is, I mean, he doesn't say that he said it himself, but apparently people were saying, saying it to the US in the 90s. You know, you're bourgeois, we're bourgeois also now. <laughs> What's the problem? I mean, you know, we are we are the same and we're not there isn't this ideological competition, confrontation any longer. So why are you so opposed to us, um, given that all of that is behind us now? And the third about Britain, I, which is, of course, my own country. Can I just say, because this is something I, I studied, if you read the British media between 18... 15, the end of the Napoleonic Wars, all the way up to the Crimean War. You could publish any one of those articles today in the British media of today, and it would be absolutely no different. I mean, the language, the characterizations, the stereotypes, the cliches are identical. They are exactly the same. You want to know what the source of modern uh, Russophobia is, you have to look to London. I say that with great sorrow as a person who is myself British. So it is, so- it's absolutely true. Yes. And by the way, the, the British imperial strategy we now call offshore balancing, which is uh, Britain as the, uh, the island nation is going to intervene to stop any large power in Europe. Russia was that large power that needed to be stopped no matter what. Uh, it was actually doing. And then this crazy concoction in the middle of the 19th century that Russia is the great challenge to the crown jewel of the, the British uh, realm, the uh, the Indian subcontinent, uh, as if it was really the intention of Nicholas uh, II and Alexander II and III to invade India 
across the uh, the Himalayas. It was insane, but it actually drove British policy. It was the motive force of the Crimean War, and it's exactly the same underlying force right now for the United States. Russia is just too big to allow to be Russia. And so we must contain it in every way. We must have unrest around the Russian periphery. We must decolonize Russia is the favorite phrase in Washington. We must bring uh, our military bases uh, to Russia's periphery. We must surround Russia in the Black Sea so that uh, Brzezinski's Russophobic vision of 1997 that Ukraine, Romania, Bulgaria, Turkey, and Georgia would be surrounding Savastopol just like Palmerston did in the first Crimean War. It's nonstop, but it's just basic geography that is uh, continuing here. And Putin is very calmly explaining this, but he's also telling us, look, here's what's really going on. You, you talk about uh, who's doing what to whom. Why did you bring in uh, the jihadists uh, into the Balkans? Why did you bomb Serbia for 78 straight days? Why did you leave unilaterally the anti-ballistic missile treaty? Why did you destabilize uh, Russia in the Caucasus region? And he knows because this, and then he constantly says, look, I tell the political leaders but they tell, uh, they, they hear from the agencies, they hear from the CIA, they hear from the ones actually doing this. And then Putin, when Tucker Carlson says, why don't you do something about it? He says, look, the agencies talk with each other. This is where the real story goes on, where there's no illusion on either side. But it's so sad that the public can't process any of this and what's extraordinary is how dangerous this is. It's called a game in game theory, but it could blow up the world and is blowing up Ukraine before our eyes, and it just cannot be processed. Indeed, and of course the British referred to their duel with the Russians in the 19th century as the great game, which, by the way, is an expression you won't find the Russians use. And if you read Russian archives of that period, which I have done, by the way, um, they were not even aware that there was even a great game going on in Central Asia where all of this was being fought out. It was entirely yes. within the British the British's own imagination. It's exactly. Most they had it's no most, most intention at all. At all. But this is how we talk about China today. Also, how China is going to take over the world. China's never shown in 2,000 years the slightest interest in taking over the rest of the world. It's incredible. But this plays because of, uh, I mean, it's, it doesn't play. I think the, the Americans don't trust anything, uh, but they don't hear any of the truth. And, and they don't, therefore, uh, hear any processing of, of such an important discussion as this. Indeed. And the other thing that was astonishing is he has all these interactions with American presidents, with Clinton, with George W. Bush. They get on with each other. They seem to make come to agreements with each other, at least not maybe agreements, but at any rate, understandings. And then the president goes away and nothing changes because, of course, the president isn't the person who makes the decisions. Or at least that's what Putin thinks. 
And he says, you know, it doesn't matter whom you elect, because ultimately, unless there is a fundamental change of outlook on the part of your entire elite, the policy will not change. It will continue exactly as before. Now, that I, I found, I have to say, the saddest thing, because given how difficult it is, as you said, to reach to the elite, and to reach to the media, but through the media to the public, because the media in the West has now experienced complete political elite capture. Um, it's very difficult how we're going to change this. I think one of the profound problems, both of uh, the, the British uh, history up to, say, 1950 and the US uh, hegemony since then, is that so much of policy is secret. The CIA really, truly, by the way, does run a huge amount of US policy and has done so for decades. And in any event is tasked to do things. We know that it's about 80 covert regime change operations since 1947. It's tasked to do things that are absolutely secret. Of course, uh, rumors abound but then to obfuscate relentlessly so that there is complete confusion about what is actually happening. And you do feel in these discussions, and I've, I've seen it inside the U.S. government, and, and we've seen episodes like this about, for example, uh, Clinton's uh, first uh, uh, decision to expand NATO in the mid-1990s. It's it's almost as if he's basically told what to do and, and he comes around to it. Uh, you don't feel that these are the agents uh, of uh, or the principles uh, of these policies, but rather they are the agents. It's explained to Clinton, look, we have a longstanding deep policy. Russia remains dangerous. This is what we're going to. Oh, OK, OK. And then you see inside the debate in the cabinet, for example, on this NATO enlargement question in the mid-1990s, his own Secretary of Defense was completely aghast at this, William Perry, as were most of the top diplomats. But the decisions were not as we see. The decisions were much deep, more deeply entrained. It was explained to him, we've been doing this for decades. Don't stop this now. Now is our opportunity. This goes back to the 1940s and so forth. And this is, I think, what is completely not understood in, let's say, this is what's completely never explained to the American people. And uh, so, uh, again, an impossibility of processing what President Putin said and therefore understanding that there really is a basic way to peace. And of course, we see uh, every day the denials uh, that NATO has anything to do with this or anything, any of these other issues has anything to do with the war, except that once in a while, the truth <laughs> slips out, uh, such as when Stoltenberg, the, uh, the secretary general of NATO, told explicitly to the European Parliament, of course, this is a war over NATO enlargement. Mm. Or when David uh, Arakamia, uh, the uh, leader of uh, Zelensky's uh, political uh, faction uh, in the Rada, says, of course, this is a, uh, a war over NATO enlargement. So once in a while, the truth slips. 
Putin explains it, but then the media won't cover it at all. And by the way, I had my normal correspondence uh, with the New York Times over the weekend on this, which means one way uh, I write to the editors whom I've known for 30 years, I hear nothing back. They will not cover any of the truth. It's absolutely the case. I mean, what we have in Britain are denials. I mean, Boris Johnson is now denying what everybody knows happened um, in March and April 2022 about, you know, the way that he, the role he played in wrecking the negotiations. He says it's all uh, untrue, even though it was being reported at the time in the British media itself. This is yeah. one of the extraordinary things in his own, uh, um, um, you know, one of his own ministers, Nadine Doris, has written a book actually praising him for wrecking the negotiations. But now, of course, it's And then it's the not, extraordinarily yeah. stupid statements of Sunak uh, and Schultz, uh, worse than children. Yeah. Absolute lies. And with Germany, a complete collapse of even the slightest uh, interest of the chancellor of Germany in, in Germany's own national interest, called to the White House and by whatever means, which is a little bit mysterious, uh, he comes out and says nonsense. And interestingly, I'm asked every day, as uh, I'm sure you are, you know, why does Germany behave in this completely weird way? And what's interesting is that when Carlson asks uh, Putin about this, Putin says, I can't figure it out. And that's what I just wrote in an interview response. I can't figure it out either. I write to my former friends uh, in the chancellery in uh, Germany. They don't answer me anymore either. It's just a kind of shutdown of basic reasoning right now and a just parroting uh, this uh, U.S. narrative, and now it's a U.S. narrative that the president of the United States can't even physically read off a teleprompter anymore. So yeah. we're really down to the to, to the last last bits of this mystery. Um, the one thing that is, I, I mean, it is reassuring, and that does come across in the interview as well. Is exactly what he said. He's a sophisticated man. One senses a sophisticated government now in Russia, and a very disciplined one. Yes. They do seem at the moment that, you know, they're, they're, they're facing all of this, that they're going to do their business, and they're going to sort it out to the best that they can. And, I mean, the only thing they can, they it seems to me, they, they've decided that the only thing they can do is wait until the West comes to its senses, because... <laughs> It's I think that's exactly big. right, by yeah. the way. And I'm, I'm watching uh, pretty close up the, the BRICS process. It's very systematic, very methodical. Uh, they're looking at these uh, issues which we've discussed of uh, monetary reform and uh, in a very professional way. And it's quite impressive, uh, actually. And I think that that's exactly uh, the, uh, the sense of the interview, which is Putin saying, look, if, if there was just a normal discussion, we could actually solve this. But if not, we're, we're going to do what we're going to do and we'll do our best. I think that's exactly the sense of it. Exactly. I mean, there, there was, I, I, I'm sure you've been following this, but there was apparently a meeting of BRICS Sherpas, which went apparently very well. India and China seem to be working together, despite all the claims that they wouldn't. And, uh, well... 
if we could just turn quickly, pivot quickly, because you've written a very, very powerful and strong, and I thought very good article about the Imran Khan situation in Pakistan. This is I this is written before the election, which has now happened in Pakistan. But um, he's been convicted of the most ludicrous charges. I mean, I mean, charges that make absolutely no sense. I mean, the fact that he disclosed the fact that the Americans were plotting against him is badly, you know, uh, 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 you know, a crime in itself. Well, it's, um, it's, it's, it's so just to say uh, the, the, the Americans uh, called on the military to bring him down in 2022, which they did. It was uh, based on a cable from the uh, Pakistani ambassador. That cable was leaked partly uh, to uh, the Intercept uh, and also to Imran Khan's team itself. When Imran Khan waived it, on the one hand, the United States denied it. And on the other hand, Imran Khan was sentenced to 10 years for espionage on the denied document. And then when the United States was asked about it, uh, the State Department spokesman said, we respect the Pakistani courts. Again, it's so surreal, you can't even connect logically the beginning of the sentence to the end of the sentence, but it doesn't matter because there's no follow-up, there's no interest, and I'll tell you something interesting. <laughs> uh, that uh, little op-ed of mine, which I posted on Common Dreams, which I liked very much, I had sent to the New York Times because the New York Times had asked me for a piece about the situation in Pakistan before the election. When they saw that I was uh, accusing the United States of something for which Imran Khan had been convicted of espionage, they told me, oh, our editors won't go with something like this. So they would not run a piece like this. And after the fact, and then after, despite the crackdown, the imprisonment, the attempted assassination, the espionage charges, everything, Imran Khan's party wins an overwhelming majority, which is now being partly stolen by utter fraud. I went back to the New York Times and said, could I write for you now? 700 words? No, 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 Professor Sachs. We have other things uh, in the pipeline. It's unreal how hard it is to pierce this wall of stupidity, designed narrative stupidity. They won't have it. They will not listen to any facts report, any facts discuss, any narrative that hasn't come out of John Kirby's mouth at the White House or the State Department. This is an official narrative rag, and that is a tragedy. Because we can't function like that. Once upon a time, the New York Times reported on the Pentagon Papers. It reported on Watergate. It reported on the CIA. But that was 50 years ago. Now it is a mouthpiece of government. And I have two things to say. Firstly, um, Imran Khan's crime was that he wanted to maintain good relations with Russia. And China, it all comes back to that at the end of the day. I mean, it's it's this desire always to lump everybody into, you know, 
you know, either you're with us or you're or you're against us. Alexander, in in the memo, uh, actually, the U.S. threat is that we are very unhappy about this aggressive neutrality. It's the term itself is so obscene, but that is the American mindset. And it, by the way, that goes back for decades. If you are neutral, you are an enemy of the United States. And leaders have been killed repeatedly by the CIA over their neutrality. Absolutely. And I mean, since you brought up Admiral Kirby, I noticed that even the Saudis are getting fed up and have published a very, very angry statement. I mean, for, for the Saudis, an unusually strong statement directly contradicting what he's been going around telling everybody about the state of negotiations between Saudi Arabia, the United States, and the United States about normalization of Saudi relations with Israel. And um, one gets the sense Saudi Arabia, I think, is now a member of the BRICS. I'm not absolutely sure about this, but I think it is. But I definitely they're going there. And uh, people around the world are getting fed up with this. People in Pakistan are fed up with this. They're now voting, as you said, to support Imran Khan. And they're angry. I mean, I know Pakistanis. There's lots of Pakistani people here in London. And they are very angry. They gave him uh, a landslide. Exactly. They gave him a landslide. And people in, um, people in, even the Saudi princes. I mean, the people who have been stalwart allies of the United States for so many years, they're, they're getting utterly fed up. And they're saying, no, we're not going to have stories told about us by American spokesmen on American television, which is simply not true. And again, American government doesn't seem to get this, that it's not that these things that they do aren't working in the way that they did once. The the uh, level of trust by Americans in the U.S. government has collapsed. The level of trust by Americans in the media has collapsed. Uh, this is uh, nobody believes what is being said. But so far, uh, just the fact of mumbling some nonsense has forestalled any change of policy. That's what's interesting. It's not that people are actually convinced by this. They kind of know something's really wrong. But what has remained the case until today is the absence of a rational alternative discussion at the core of our public deliberations, meaning in our actual institutions, in the Congress uh, or in the mainstream media. That rational discussion has not occurred. Professor Sachs, Jeffrey Sachs, once again, a, a amazing interview. Um, just to go back, read Putin's interview. It is incredibly interesting. Absolutely, it's very coherent. A lot for um, us yes. to chew on in the in the days ahead. I'm the sure days too. Ahead. Absolutely, great um, to be with you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jeffrey. Again, have a great day. Thank you, thank you. Bye. Take care. Bye bye. Alexander, let's uh, do some questions Absolutely. and we'll, yeah, we'll wrap this up. There were some questions addressed to Professor Sachs, but uh, we were a bit short on time. We were actually, hey, we had to do a hard stop with uh, Professor Sachs, but we can answer the questions mm. that uh, that came in. From KM, what are Professor Sachs's views on Reddit bias and the IPO? 
Have you heard about Reddit's IPO? No, no. You're probably more up to date with this kind no, of thing. But you know about the the media bias, I guess, yeah, is, is, is yeah. a better way to pray. What are, what are your thoughts on the media bias with, with everything that's taking place, the Tucker interview? Or that, it, that, it, that it is getting worse all the time. I mean, um, he, he, Professor Sachs is absolutely right. The media just didn't know how to handle this interview. So on the one hand, they say Tucker Carlson is Putin's useful idiot. He is, you know, th 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 there are actually articles which have appeared, for, for example, in the Financial Times with that precise title. So Tucker Carlson is manipulated by Putin. At the same time, they want to say, well, you know, Putin comes across as rambling and uh, um, deranged and mad. Well, if that is indeed the impression that the interview gave, how is Tucker Carlson, how, through having actually conducted an interview like that, well, surely he, he's doing us all a favour because he's, you know, he's exposed Putin in that kind of way. But of course, that isn't what they really want to do. They don't want anybody to look at the interview itself. So they said, this is all propaganda. It's uh, uh, Tucker's been manipulated by Putin. But they still want to go out and say, you know, he's uh, uh, deranged and, uh, um, you know, rambling and all of those things, all of those words. Yeah. But they Man, don't here. discuss the content at all. I don't think they understand the content. No, they don't understand. <laughs> Veer asks, thanks, uh, says, thanks for the great discussion. If Trump wins the presidency in 2024, do you think he will be successful in reestablishing a dialogue with Russia? Well, I think he wants to. I think he always has done. It's an extraordinary fact that Donald Trump, perhaps because he's an outsider, and somebody who historically never showed you know, a huge amount of interest in foreign policy, seems to have an insight into this issue that, you know, the entire professional political class simply doesn't get. But, of course, we saw what happened in his first term. In order for him to change things this time, he would need a team. He'd need a lot of people working for him. And, of course, they're scared. The establishment is scared that he will do it. And he's, there's talk about the fact that he is supposedly building up this huge team. But I'm going to just get away to see. I mean, you know, it, we'll see whether or not he is able to make change. He will be resisting every step of the way. He already is. If if he gets into office If as well. he gets into yeah. office. I mean, they, you know, yeah. they're, they're pulling out every stop to to prevent him. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, extraordinary things. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fractured zero one. Thank you for that uh, message. Uh, Bitcoin, crypto and gaming says always love Professor Sachs. Fractured zero one says feelings don't care about your facts. The U.S. Senate. Truth Social ST says I appreciate the invaluable analysis of Jeffrey Sachs. Thank you. Also, Christopher and Mark Curtis for your hosting and regular analysis. This The resistance will prevail and from locals alexander from yankee go home no more no more wars australian sovereignty stay neutral in the apac it may be dangerous to be america's enemy but to be america's friend is fatal henry kissinger mm -hmm. no AUKUS. Mm -hmm. thank you for that message 
Toy Chung, thank you for that uh, super chat. Libertarian by default. Welcome to the Durant community. B Mido says, keep up the great work. Coste910 says, as I was saying all this year, and now Putin confirmed the genie is out of the bottle. It all started with war crimes against Serbia, maybe by NATO. We will never forget or forgive. Well, this is true. And I mean, you know, that there were so many opportunities thrown away, willfully thrown away. Uh, um, I mean, th this is something that Putin actually catalogues. Attempt after attempt by the Russians to come to some kind of long-term understanding. You don't want us in NATO? Okay, we're not going to join NATO, but let's agree something else. You don't want this in the, you know, involved in other things? Well, you know, we'll 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 go with that. But let's try and find some way forward. And he says every every time he and other Russian officials come up with ideas. The door is always slammed in their face because exactly as Professor Sachs said, they are the enemy and must always be so. Uh, can you explain, Alexander, what was meant when Putin said, I don't think he was working for Monaco when he was talking about uh, Evan uh, uh, Gertzkovich? Did, yeah, did you mean, understand what he meant by that? I, I mean, this, this is an interesting discussion. But I mean, what what, what he was basically, I think, uh, uh, saying is that he wasn't working for Monaco. He was working for the CIA. I mean, that 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 is what I don't know. That's true, by the way. But I mean, that is what Putin said. I mean, he, he made it very clear. As far as the Russians are concerned, this is a straightforward espionage case. He went to Yekaterinburg one of the main centers of the military, the Russian military industrial complex. It's a huge city in the Urals, not far away as Nizhny Tagil. He was getting classified information for, from the, um, trying to get classified information about tank production. And the Russians arrested him. And I mean, his story is that he's doing it, you know, as a journalist, the Russians say, you're clearly spying. You're clearly working for someone. You're not working for Monaco. You know, you're working for somebody much more powerful, much more important. You're an American. You must have been working for the CIA. Okay. Sparky says Russia should trade Evan Gershkovich for Julian Assange. Well, he's dropping hints that the Russians are going to trade him for um, people, um, for Russians. V so Vadim, Vadim, yeah, whatever, uh, whatever I, I forgot his last name yeah, in I Germany. Yeah. 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 But, but um, I, the important thing always to understand, and I know this, I know this directly. I mean, I'm not from Assange himself, but from people who have spoken and discussed these things with Assange. Assange will never expect, accept a trade. He will never agree to be traded in this kind of fashion. Because he, under no circumstances, does he want himself to be anybody to think that he is any kind of spy, intelligence officer, there is any sort of connections with the Russians, nothing like that. He will be, I mean, it's a heroic position. He's prepared to go through all the trials, all the investigations, and argue, argue his innocence and the the fact that he is a journalist. I think it's a very heroic stance, by the way. Vesna, thank you for that super sticker. Elza asks, I think today more people are ready to listen to Russia than one or two years ago. Mr. Sachs, is my assumption realistic? Will, in, will it influence the West? 
I think that you are probably right. And the proof of this is the increasingly shrill way in which they're acting. I mean, if you listened to Schultz and Sunak over the last couple of days, and by the way, uh, Johnson even more, their reaction to the Putin interview is hysterical. <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, uh, meltdown is, I think, almost right as a yeah. word to describe it. Yeah. Oscar asks, will Trump sack NATO or is it just talk? I think NATO is the biggest threat to Europe. Well, he, he's dropped all kinds of hints. I mean, he dropped a very heavy hint the other, the other day when he said, you know, that a country that wasn't paying its funding, its own defense. They asked him, if the Russians attack us, will you defend us? And he said, no, you're not defending yourself. Why should we defend you? <laughs> I mean, now that, of course, uh, it's been publicized all over Europe, uh, proof of how outrageous it is. But of course, in a kind of a way, this is what Europeans, the people who talk like this, don't understand. It actually plays into the point Trump is making, which is that NATO is a mechanism. One of the things it is, I mean, it's many things, but one of the things it is, is a mechanism whereby big European states freeload off the United States. And that's a point he wants to make. And this European reaction, you know, we, you know, even if we don't spend any money on our own defense, the United States should come and defend us. It makes exactly the point that Trump wants to make. Ibsen says, great analysis every time. The Black Cat, thank you for that super sticker. Maria S., thank you for that super sticker. Jack Ridley, thank you for that super sticker. Robin says, good morning, Valley S. Good morning, Valley S. And Paul Walker says, uh, Duo is too concerned removing the fall the fall right oh, far right threat, but more than happy to support the far right in Ukraine. Bojo makes a mockery of Western politics. I mean, this is uh, this is absolutely true, but I mean it's true right across the entire um, you know political class across the West. I mean they pretend that the far right does not exist in Ukraine. I mean if you read the Guardian you would get the impression that the Russians are the far right and the Ukrainians are sort of center leftist, you know, new labor, Blairite type people. I mean, that, that, that's, that's the kind of way in which Ukraine is represented there. I mean, it is so far removed from the truth that it is almost ridiculous. Well, it is ridiculous, but I mean, that, that, that's, that's the way it's done. Putin, by the way, made a very interesting point about that. He made two very interesting points. He, he said that um, the West actually knows all about these people and supports them. And the reason it does is because that guarantees that Ukraine will be kept on an anti-Russian tra trajectory because these people in Ukraine are very, very anti-Russian. So that's why it, they are the allies of the West in this project. The other point, and it brought me back to an interview that, you know, uh, Sergei Lavrov uh, gave a couple of, about a year ago, in which he got into a lot of trouble on this very question, which is about Zelensky. And, you know, why does Zelensky agree to front for these people when his background, his family, his, the fact that he's Jewish should make him so averse to this? And, you know, uh, Lavrov 
slip badly. And it turns out that Putin himself actually asked that very question to Zelensky himself on the only occasion that they met, which from recollection, I think was in 2020. He asked Zelensky, now, why are you fronting for these people? Your father fought against them in the Red Army during the Second World War. You know what they did. You know what they are. More than anyone else, you should know what they are. And he said, I can't answer. I can't tell you what Zelensky said, because this was a confidential discussion. So I can disclose what I said to him. But I won't disclose what he said to me. But of course, there is a Russian record of this conversation. And I'd be interested to know what it what Zelensky did, in fact, say. Mm. Law of Attraction asks, gentlemen, if you had an opportunity to ask Putin a question, what would it be if Harry Stokely? If I had an opportunity to ask Putin a question, my interview would be about six hours long. <laughs> not the two hours that it was mm. with... Uh, not, not, not the two hours that it was with uh, Tucker. Um, I, I, if, um, where, where, where to begin? As somebody with historical interests, okay, I would be very interested in understanding why it was, what actually happened in 1999 when putin became first acting prime minister and then president of russia because there was clearly lots of things going on behind the uh, behind the curtain at that time in moscow and uh, we know because putin has disclosed the fact that he was actually worried that he might at one point that he might be arrested I mean, this isn't widely known. So clearly some kind of a power struggle was underway. I would be very interested to know the facts of that. And I would be very interested to know what role the Americans and by the way the British had in it also. And I think a lot of the things that a lot of the a lot of the things that have happened since then, this monolithic hostility and distrust of Putin, which, by the way, contrary to what many people think, started from the first moment when he was elected, appointed by Yeltsin, deputy prime minister. I can remember reading hugely angry and aggressive editorials about him at that time. This is in 1999 in the British media. But I think it all stems from the events of that summer. Mm. Sparky says pre Imran Khan. Yeah. Tim Gibson, thank you for that super sticker. Sparky says denazify Israel. Elsa says the collective West says Putin is lying. Did anyone give an example of a lie and name facts that prove that? I haven't seen any. You're absolutely correct. None. Absolutely none at all. There is no, see, they don't want to do that. They just say that he's lying. But they don't want to say where he is lying because if they do that, then they're going to start to disclose facts which they don't want to disclose and have to argue about and explain. So the result is they just say he's mad, he's rambling, he's a liar, all of those kind of things. They don't want to go into any more detail than this, which, may, which meant, by the way, that their response to the interview 
was um, botched and extremely lame. I mean, they just parked it away, tried to ignore it. But even though, as I said, the interest in it around the world has been enormous. Sparky says, go Yemen, fight the power. Sparky also says, free Assange. Danielle says, do you think that the Zionists will get their way and clear Gaza and the West Bank? Will Israel be held to account? If 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 they don't do it, it will not be for want of wanting to do it and for want of trying. I mean, um, I don't know how closely people have been following events in Israel, but there's been a whole series of meetings and public protests and things of this kind. And again, Israeli officials, the, you know, uh, ben Gvir, the one of the ministers, Smotrich, and not just them, they've again been talking about the need to displace the entire population of Gaza, repopulate it with Jewish settlers, uh, annex it straightforwardly into Israel. I think the opposition and the resistance to this is um, huge around the world. Um, I think that opposition is building, and I think that Israel is under more pressure than it has ever been um, at any point in my memory, in my actual memory. And um, there was even an article in Foreign Affairs, which is one of the big, one of the big three of American journals that the foreign policy elite runs, which actually is entitled, you know, how Israel is self-destructive. So I think they are closer to being held to account than they have ever been. But they don't yet understand that and they don't really believe it. And of course, it's not deterring them from wanting to do that which they aim to do. Important to stress again, and I think this has to be said, we're talking about a faction of people who hold power in Israel. If this whole topic was opened up for discussion amongst the Israeli public, I personally believe that we would start to see a much greater diversity of views uh, start to develop there as well. And that article in Foreign Affairs discusses that in detail. Elena Diaz says, Russophobia is because Russia has defeated most countries in Europe at one time, like France and Sweden and the UK. Well, it's true. Um, but of course, it's now more intense than it's ever been. Going back to what I said, you know, it, 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 you, you can find, the, the, we have a historian in Britain called Orlando Fides. I don't, I'm going to say straight away, I don't like him. I don't personally agree with most of his take on things. And he wrote a book some years ago about the Crimean War, which I disagreed with profoundly. But there is one chapter there, just one chapter, which discusses British media coverage of Russia in the decades leading up to the Crimean War. And you can see that even he's shocked by what he found. And of course, if you study this period in more uh, detail, you will know how, you know, all the stereotypes, characterizations, cliches about Russia that we're bombarded with all the time, they actually originate from the media of the 19th century and particularly the British.
Nick, thank you for that super sticker. Mastilovich, thank you for that. Sparky says, every time anyone says that Israel is our only friend in the Middle East, I can't help but think that before Israel, we had no enemies in the Middle East. John Sheenhan, American missionary. Uh, Jung Jungle Jin says, no one has yet mentioned Putin's reference to genetically engineered humans. <laughs> the Elon Musk exchange, the AI. Yeah, I think absolutely. it's interesting that, that Tucker was talking about AI and Putin was yeah. talking about genetically engineered humans. It's yeah, an interesting absolutely. exchange. Yeah. Uh, Danielle says, Biden sees dead people. Has he found Jackie yet? For that. Jamila says, I want to say thank you, gentlemen, and all my favorite people is one then God. I love you guys. Thank you for that. Elena Diaz says, nobody reacts to Tucker's warmongering with China. Putin put a stop to those Tucker dreams. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a brief exchange, and but a very telling one. One which we discussed, Alex and I, in the program we did about the the interview, which um, uh, uh, we went into it in great detail, fifty minutes. Yeah. Sparky says when Putin spoke of Germany and France, I thought that he may have been speaking about them guaranteeing Minsk too, but Alexander clarified that as as they asking for Russia to withdraw troops. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, by the way, he he really is disappointed with the French and the Germans. And he made the point that there was three occasions. There was the uh, there was an agreement that was reached on the 21st of February 2014, which was before Yanukovych was overthrown to hold elections and to you know come to a political settlement. The, the Germans and the French basically rubber stamped and guaranteed that it was torn up the next day and Yanukovych was overthrown and Putin is still incredulous and furious about this then of course there's Minsk too and lastly there's this I, I, this is in my opinion the single most interesting revelation a factual revelation of the interview the fact that the Germans and the French were there putting pressure on the Russians telling them, please get your troops away from Kiev. The Ukrainians can't sign anything off if they have a gun at their head. And basically backing the Ukrainian request for the Russian troops to be withdrawn from Kiev. And Putin says, OK, I'll do it. And what sense is that for him, that was probably the final straw, the betrayal too far, if you will. Law of Attraction says, check the difference how the American journalist is being treated in Russian imprisonment, looking good and smiling, and how Ukraine and how Ukraine did to Gonzalo. Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. Of course, we don't talk about Gonzalo in the, in the Western media. Around the world, around the world, not just in Russia, by the way, but you know, around the world, it's been talked about more and more. <laughs> but I can say this for a fact, by the way, I have not seen a single article anywhere in the British media, in the British media, that refers to Gonzalo. I believe there have been a few in the American, because the American media is still a little bit more open than the British. But in Britain, this whole episode has been completely suppressed. Getter Dunn, 2024, says Putin and the BRICS involves Australia to be a neutral partner in the new paradigm. You know, this is it. I mean, why has Australia wrecked its relations with China, which was going doing very well 
from that relationship with China? Why did Germany wreck its relations with Russia? I mean, surely, if you're talking about Germany, they should have worked very hard to keep relations in, with Russia on an even keel. We did a whole program recently, by the way, about what's going on in Germany. And Australia, I know less about because, well, I've never been there for one thing. But it seems to me it's the same. And I'm sorry, because all Australian people I've met in London, I really liked and got on with, you know, British relations with Australia, very close and very friendly. And I, I just don't understand why Australia, which could have been a force for restraint on the Americans and, by the way, also on the Chinese, because the Chinese valued the relationship with Australia why that thing has been torn up and thrown away in the reckless way that it was. Get her done 2024 says you both Alexis said you would look at Australia. Please focus on AUKUS and the raping of our tax dollars and the people's voice in opposition to all the parties. You're absolutely right. We should. I mean, this is a big story. And I know in China it's taken very seriously, of course. And across, I suspect, most of the Pacific. And of course, in Australia, it's a big story as well. I do not understand. I really don't understand what Australia was doing because the AUKUS deal is a terrible deal for Australia. I mean, it's a good deal for the United States, obviously. It's a kind of good deal for Britain. Not that I think the British will ever follow through on it because I don't think they have the technical means. I mean, Britain providing nuclear submarine technology. Look at what's happened to its aircraft carriers and its destroyers and all of that. But anyway... But what did Australia think it was doing by signing off on something like that? MF71 says, if NATO wants World War III so badly by creating a threat that doesn't even exist, they can do it themselves. America won't help. Russia has no intention of invading Europe, Trump 2024, and free Palestine. You're completely right. I mean, that's entirely correct. Tucker, by the way, has made the same point. And of course, Putin also made it. I mean... Why would Russia want to invade Europe? Nobody's explained this to me. Why would Russia want to march on Berlin at this time or take over Sweden or occupy Norway or, or any of these places? I mean, the whole thing makes no sense. No one, not a single commentary, has explained why the Russians would want to attack Europe. There's been a single explanation given. I'm not... I've not seen a single one. It's just taken as axiomatic that they're a threat. No explanation of what it is that the Russians would achieve or want to achieve by attacking Europe in that way. And of course, Putin said, you know, we're not crazy. We're not going to start World War Three. But of course, that part of the interview has been taken and turned around. And it's been said that, you know, Putin was threatening everybody with World War III. I mean, the, the degree of misrepresentation is astonishing. Yeah, that's because it's all about keeping the military spending yeah. in, uh, oh, in Europe going. That's that's what it's all about. And keeping yeah. people afraid. Absolutely. So that they yeah. can then give more power over to to Brussels and, and to, to the people in D.C. That, that's it. Mm. That's mm. what it's all about. Lerka Perka says, Alexander, if given a chance... Would you ask Putin about the agreement he made with Yeltsin related to the family, Yeltsin, as condition for Putin's presidency? Well, this is exactly the point I was making. I would like to know the whole story there. What exactly happened? 
1999. I mean, I've the the story I have heard, and I I got this from uh, somebody who worked at the Greek Embassy in Moscow, which I'm but it's a private conversation. I don't want to go into the details, but the story I heard at the time was that there was a power struggle that the business over Yugoslavia, uh, the, the bombing of Yugoslavia by NATO, and Yeltsin's going along with it, and the sacking of Primakov um, finally turned the entire military and security and foreign policy establishment against um, Yeltsin. And they basically said to him, look, we want you out. He was at that time still trying to find a way of getting himself a third term. They said, look, we want you out. We want Putin in. If you agree to go, we will give you immunity. But if you try and stay, there will be a political crisis at the end of this year. And at that point, you're on your own. That's that's the word I've heard about it. And of course, the military started to make decisions by itself, like the sent troops to uh, Kosovo. Russian troops went to Pristina. All of that. That was not so much directed against the U.S., it was directed against Yeltsin himself. It was telling him, you've lost control. We're not obeying your orders anymore. Sticky Marks says, did you hear the emotion in Tucker's voice after the final question of President Putin? Profound reply spoke to the Orthodox Church and the soul of Ukraine. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, this, is a, this is important for Tucker and it's important for Putin himself. And... Again, coming back to what we discussed um, on our program about this interview, the care with which Putin, how careful he was not to denigrate Ukraine. He said nothing pejorative about Ukrainian culture, about Ukrainians, you know, way of life, anything of that kind. And the emphasis he continued to place on orthodoxy, on religion, and he even brought up the topic of the russian soul which to be to be to be frank um i know russians some russians are um i mean they don't like it and of course even dostoevsky you know back in the 19th century apparently didn't like it when people talk like that uh Bellatane cottage says boycott is rael Okay. That. John, John Ski says, thank you both for the daily brain boosts. It seems like the Western elites have become so drunk on their own perceived power, they have become evil. How has Putin avoided this malaise or has he? Well, I think to a great extent he has because he operates in a profoundly different system. He, he's uh, somebody who, on the one hand, he went out of his way to make this clear, that he's very realistic. And he operates in a system which is also very, very realistic. If you look, if you follow debates and discussions that take place in Russia at the you know, highest level of the government and in their media, I mean, there is there discussion happens there all the time. So there really isn't any room for you know sort of megalomania <laughs> to take hold, given how long he's been in power. Um, I mean, you know, he shows no trace of it. Um, and that is important in itself. What it what he does show is enormous experience 
which aids him in his decision making. Claude says hi from Quebec City, Canada. As usual, great team. Merci. Ben Hillman, welcome to the direct community. Mays says Putin did a Cat Williams thanks to the Tucker expose. Liz Liz A says German MSM manipulate TC interview example DW news. Yeah. Sparky yeah. says Zelensky. Yeah, I mean the German media, by the way. I mean against the British. American media is bad. The British media is worse. In my opinion, the German media is worse still. I mean, this has been long so the case, by the way. Uh, the one thing I would say is Germany, unlike Britain, does have an alternative media and a much, much more critical uh, public in Germany. At least part of the public is much more critical than you tend to find in Britain. Sparky says Zelensky's never claimed to be Jewish. Others claim he is he is to inoculate Ukrainian NAZIs. His mother wasn't Jewish and never converted. He did acknowledge Jewish heritage through his father. Yes, indeed. And as I said, it was specifically his father that Putin referenced. Uh, Christos says, compare any city's lifestyle in the States to Russian cities and tell us if Russians are ready for the American values Ha ha ha, tense seven fentanyl everywhere. Well, I mean, if you go to Russia, this is all I'm going to say. I mean, I haven't been there, by the way, for some, for some years now. Alex was recently there. I had a very interesting email just the other day from a viewer who'd just been there. And, you know, these are pretty well run, confident, modern, comfortable, prosperous cities. Torsten says, we're living in the Fourth Reich, where Napola K. Schwab and his WEF puppets control the rules-based order. Wake up, Europe. Hmm. Joe Public says, what's the big deal about thoroughly average interview? I didn't think it was an average interview. I thought it was a very, very different interview from the ones from the one that um, we see in the media in the West. I mean, completely different. And that was one of the problems. Uh, that's one of the problems. It's why the media in the West can't really understand it very well. Um, if you're talking about Putin interviews, I thought that it actually provided a lot more information and insights than I personally had expected. I mean, you know, he, he went into more detail and said more things than he normally says or discusses or discloses in interviews with the Russian media. And I think this is not because, you know, he set out to do that, but because the experience of working with an American journalist was so different that, as I said, he was prepared to say more things or provide more information than he usually does. I thought it was actually a better interview than I'd expected it would be. Elena Diaz says, many Israelis are also Russian and Ukrainian. It seems to me Russia do have a far-right problem just in Israel. Oh, there, there are uh, uh, far-right people in Russia. I think you're finding that they're very much in decline. And, of course, Putin himself makes it completely clear this isn't what he's about at all. I, I, I don't think you will find much of it in Russia. I've never encountered it, by the way. Elsa says Putin said that Musk can't be stopped. I did, he did. Caustic One says props to Tucker, but would he interview she or Raisi? Who knows? 
Maybe Jungle you Jins. will. You must Jungle, ask him. <laughs> Jungle Jin says, I wonder where the scribbles are buried. Well, he had a lot to say about them too, of course. It's a very good question. We, we are going through, by the way, a public inquiry in Britain that is supposed to be looking at the story of the Skripals. John Helmer's been writing about this outstandingly, by the way, in Dances with Bears. And Helmer's pointed out that, you know, public inquiry is a grotesque misnomer for this exercise because most of it is actually going to be conducted in secret. I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, utterly bizarre. We don't know where the script files are. We're not provided any information about this. Vast amounts of information are being withheld. Even, uh, uh, um, you know, the Mansfield, Mike Mansfield, who's the KC, who's representing the family of the woman who died because she ingested Novichok. You remember the one from the perfume bottle. He's protesting and complaining about this. But as I said, the British authorities are determined to keep the whole thing under wrap. As I said, Helmer has been covering this really well. Martum Rex says the mustached man's army was once one of the most organized and industrially bolstered forces of the 20th century. How did that work out? The barbarians are at the gate once more, but this time with blue hair and art degrees. Pass the popcorn, please. What an idiom. Tre Trevor, thank you for that super sticker. Christos says, Aussies, imasten malakis. That's why we had it good with China and now... Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Danielle says, Australia needs a new Whitlam or Paul Keating back. Yeah. Jungle Jin says, regarding AUKUS, Australia is footing U.S. naval costs. Well, and? <laughs> I mean, you know, what, 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 what practical benefit does that give the people of Australia? Sparky says, I think Gonzalo paid off the FSB to let him go the first time. The second time, the U.S. overruled the FSB and had them arrest him again. You mean the SBU? The FSB is the Russian yeah. the, the the Russian SBU. agency. The SBU is the Ukrainian one. Look, I've not heard anything about this. Um, I don't know that he paid off anybody, but perhaps one day we will get the whole story. The hockey goalie says, I was struck how Putin doesn't take the West's action personally, particularly with regard to the 2014 coup. Stark comparisons to the hyper-emotional reaction of Western leaders, patience versus escalation, escalator. He is an extremely disciplined man. I, you, you do get the sense, I got the sense sometimes listening to him, that at, at some level he has been personally hurt. I mean, you know, he's he's human being after all. But he is absolutely determined that he's not going to let that affect his actions as president of Russia, that he's going to be focused on Russian national interests. Uh, Mark uh, Bertley says, we all know this genocide won't stop without a third party military intervention, hence my previous question. This is the one about Gaza. I don't know. I don't imagine any third party military intervention. I must say this. I do think diplomatic action is a possibility. And of course, we have a legal process which is working its way through and which potentially 
might become important. I mean, I want to qualify this because people always say that, you know, I'm placing too much faith in this. I'm not. I'm not. I mean, I mean I'm very realistic about, you know, the obstacles it faces. But nonetheless, it's already got to this point and it might potentially go further still. Fractured Zero One says Australia has been subverted by the U.S. Embassy for years. WikiLeaks had cables on how PM Rudd was ousted. Well, this is completely true. And you can go all the way back further still to Gough Whitlam in the 70s and all of that. But, you know, Australians can take control of their country. It's self-sufficient. It's immensely rich. It potentially can play a very strong and positive role in um, world affairs. I mean, they need to throw off their psychology of dependence on, you know, another great power, firstly Britain, now the United States, and understand that they can be independent and strong and they can make their own decisions and they don't need to get the permission of anybody to make them. Get her done 2024 says, thank you for the comment of Australia in this new front towards a US relationship to make us the new Ukraine. Well, I hope it doesn't come to that. I mean, I really don't. I, re I really hope it doesn't. Um, the the Fog Hale says, gents, any thought on why mill tubers like fat electrician Chris Cappy and mandatory fun day are now sounding more and more like propaganda? I, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't I, know I, I don't, these I don't people. Know them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know those YouTubers. Yeah. Uh, John Ski says, John Kirby has been elevated to an assistant to the president from deputy assistant. He will be in charge of communications coordination for national security across a variety of agencies. Oh, joy. More, more, more proof that in order to succeed, you must completely fail. Elza says, it looks like the French have become more hostile against Russia. Are they just coping hard or are there other reasons? No, I don't think so. I think a political class in Paris, which has always been very anti-Russian, there's a long tradition of uh, uh, um, anti-Russian and Russophobic views in France. Um, go back all the way to Gustave Doré, for example, in the 19th century. Uh, uh, you, you, you'll find plenty of examples there. Um, anyway, um, there is an elite in Paris that is very anti-Russian. My impression is that the rest of the country is not. Uh, Stan Tall says, wish Tucker had asked about uh, Bukka or other Russian atrocities. Listening to Western leaders attempt to dismiss the things he said is embarrassing. Russian well, atrocities could... in quotes. Well, he could have done that, but I mean, you know, there were so many, so many other things he had to talk about. Uh, two hours of them, two hours interview. Yeah. I mean, you can't look to him to answer to ask questions about everything. Gab says discussion, not interview, as clarified by Putin. Yeah. Christo says, if if any of you gents had the chance to interview the Putin, would you, or is it too much heat for for it after? Well. I get to say it straightforwardly. The question is time. I mean, you know, it, it would be an enormous operation for a site like ours to do something like this. I mean, you know, we don't have the resources and the team behind us that Tucker has. That, that, that is one. 
And there is something else, which is that more than Tucker, we are here to analyze, to discuss uh, what happens, what people say. Uh, we're not, we, we have a different journalistic role from the one that Tucker has. And from that, for that reason, I personally do not like to get too close to politicians and to power. It's, it'd be the same. If Boris Johnson wanted me to interview him, I would have misgivings about it. If Rishi Sunak or, uh, or um, Keir Starmer, or to give a perhaps better example, Kwasi Kwarteng, who is a personal friend of mine. I mean, I know him, but I've never asked him for an interview because I don't want to be influenced by what he says and my own feelings and all of that. I want to be a certain distance so that I, the analysis I give is completely independent. Uh, I, I don't know whether people understand that, but I mean, I do feel that sometimes some journalists become so close to leaders that it affects the way they explain things. Not in Taka's case, because he fulfills a different role from the one that we do. Sparky says, correction, SBU to the FSB. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Jungle Jin says, AUKUS, no practical benefits for Australia. It has many fully embedded Americas in key agencies. Australia acts under orders, no choice involved. Yeah. Uh, Sparky says, but Russia killed Apollo Creed. In reference to Rocky. Uh, Monty105 says, can you please elaborate a bit more on Putin facing arrest as prime, as prime minister? This is the first time I am hearing of this. He, he disclosed it himself. He disclosed it himself in an interview he gave um, on a Russian TV program that um, he didn't want initially to take the, jo the job of prime minister, um, that he was very, very worried that if he did, and clearly things went the wrong way. Just to clarify, you're you're talking about the 1990s, not the, 19, not the no, prime no, no, minister no, 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 under no. Med, Medvedev, yeah. No, just no, want, exactly. just want to clarify that. Exactly. Yeah. The, the, the time in 1999, when there, was, when there was this power struggle. At that time, he was heading the FSB and Putin, uh, Yeltsin, uh, tapped him to become acting prime minister. Or so Putin says, but you know we know that there was all sorts of things going on behind the scenes, and um, he he turned it down. He said, you know, I'm worried for my family, and I'm nervous about myself. And then the power struggle continued, and he was asked to become prime minister again. And on that second occasion, he accepted. And this is why. By the way, if you remember that period, there was this really rather strange interval where Primakov was sacked. Someone else, I forget the name of him, took over for a short time, about a month. And then suddenly that person was also sacked and then Putin took over. Yeah. All right. Um, I think that is everything. Mm. Those are all the questions. All right. Uh, thank you to Professor Jeffrey Sachs once again for a great uh, conversation, a great live stream. Uh, Alexander, any final thoughts before we sign off? Thank you to everyone that's watched us on Rockfin, Odyssey, Rumble, 
the Duran.locals.com, YouTube. Thank you to our moderators, Valley S, mm-hmm. uh, Gab, uh, Peter. I think I saw Peter in the house as well. Thank you for everyone that helped us to moderate. Thank you, Rockabilly, Rockabilly for that super chat. Gab says, hungry President Novak resigns. Know much about this? There's, there isn't very much to say. It's the result of a personal, sca- uh, of, of, of a scandal. I don't think it has a huge amount of political significance. I mean, she gave a pardon to somebody who was the director of a children's home who'd uh, uh, be negligent because that person had um, employed someone who unfortunately abused children. That's my understanding of the case. So it, it's, by the way, an example of somebody being held to account for doing something wrong. In Hungary, that happens. In some countries in the West, well, you just get promoted. All right. Any final thoughts, Alexander? Yeah, I mean, coming back, actually, there is a point, which is, of course, this beating up on Tucker for actually doing proper journalism. (laughs) It it really is astonishing. I mean, uh, this is a real journalist doing a journalist's job. And the media collectively in the West is furious with him. It goes to show that journalism as a proper trade doesn't exist anymore and here we have uh, professor Sachs telling us that he's trying to get articles in the new york times they actually asked him to write an article about pakistan and he writes about the american role and which is obvious anybody can see it by the way i mean this isn't it is widely discussed in pakistan itself but the new york times won't publish it what kind of newspaper is that? This is the so-called, you know, the, the newspaper of record. Christos I says mean, major major respect for what for what you do. Thank you. Go go ahead, Alexander. No, I mean, you know, I, I thank you, Christos. And can I just say, I mean, what a what a what a state we're in in the media with the media in the world. Given that, you know, this is what the one of the things of the First Amendment of the Constitution and free press one active and you know um, debates things and informative and all of that the the founders of the american um you know of the united states understood that is an essential part of the system we don't have it anymore and without it there cannot be democracy in america or anywhere else yeah they're jealous of Tucker, Alexander. Oh, hugely so. Jealousy is that, a terrible thing. Yeah. That is another thing that comes across so powerfully. They're, they're jealous of his traction. They're jealous of his intelligence and his ability and his courage because they have none of those things. His newfound freedom. His newfound freedom. The fact that he still gets hundreds of millions of views, which they don't. <laughs> and I mean, you know, they 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 are instead of instead of uh, asking, you know, what is he doing right, which we are not, you know, they just go and go after him. But you're absolutely right. Jealousy plays an enormous role in this thing. Yeah. All right, uh, we will end it there. Thank you very much, everybody, for tuning in to this live stream. Take care. <laughs>